So we are in this, in this series, uh, we're taking a look at decolonizing or deconstructing, deconstructing church here at Renew. Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to free us from some of the cultural captivities um, that have been yoked to the American church. And I think the hope is that our eyes will be open to new possibilities fresh perspectives on being disciples and being the community of faith. We have, uh, we've discussed the foundations of the American church being sourced in the doctrine of discovery, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, and white supremacy. And we have talked about the marriage of the church extra-biblically uh, to nationalism and the greatness of America, which are false foundations. Um, and the problem, I think, with this is that America uh, may be great for the victors or for the winners, but for many, it's not great at all. But when we look at the gospel, Jesus came for everyone, right? The winners and the losers, and maybe even preferentially for the losers and the poor. So we need to consider that and figure out what does that mean for us as the church. Amen? Are you, are you with me? Uh, and, and this week, I've kind of uh, got onto Threads. How many of you know what Threads is? It's like the new, it's the thr Twitter killer. Um, so it's um, Zuckerberg's, um, it's connected to Instagram. It's, it's basically Twitter. Um, but you can take all your Instagram followers and follow them on Threads. And so I never was a tweeter, a Twitterer, um, but I'm like, oh, man, now I can be hip. Now I can be on the ground floor. First day of threads, and maybe I can build my platform. Ha, ha, ha. And I, like, I have like 60 followers. <laughs> it's <just> like nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> whereas, like, I don't know, some celebrities had like 100K followers on the first day. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Uh, I think it was Lecrae who posted the, uh, uh, you remember the gold and white or blue and black dress? Like, what color is this dress? And he posted it and he was like, it's still blue and black. And I was like, no, it's gold. It's gold and white, right? And, and people are, still, the argument continues on the internet. The dress is gold and white or it's blue and black. Um, but the thing is, the thing I took from this is that it's hard to embrace paradigm shifts, right? When we've seen something for a long, long time or seen something in a certain way, um, to embrace paradigm shifts and actually to go with it, to pivot and make changes um, in that direction. Because why? Because people tend to resist change. People tend to feel threatened when there's change because it means, oh, something was wrong with what I was doing, right? And so we hang on to those things. And so you get pushback, right? You get pushback, you get angry emails, you get, you know, the comments underneath your post, like, ah, 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 ah. Um, but change is necessary, I think, right? To progress, to adapt. And um, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about different cultures, we're talking about different lenses, different worldviews, 
And I want to start off by saying, and, and this week I'm, I'm going to be talking about the difference between collectivism and individualism in terms of uh, cultures and societies. And I want to be sure that I add the caveat that I'm not saying one is better than the other. Like collectivism is greater than individualism, right? Bar none. All I'm saying is that they're different and that there's different kinds of cultures and perspectives. And being a part, part of being a neighbor or being an open person is considering that different people might be approaching church or might be approaching uh, the Bible, scriptural interpretation from different cultural lenses. You guys with me? Okay, so that's what I'm saying. And I'm also saying that it requires self-awareness to say, oh, we come from a, a, a culture in North America, in America, that high, highly values rugged individualism, right? We, we would agree with that. And that maybe because we lean this way, we need to be challenged by this way. Does that make sense? And maybe uh, if the Bible was written primarily within, in the context of collectivistic cultures, then maybe scripture challenged those people uh, to lean this way. Does that make sense? So that's all to say that uh, part of growth and part of being challenged is recognizing where we're at, who we're at, and having a critical eye towards history, uh, critical self-awareness, and, um, and letting scripture speak into that and challenge that. Um, because there's weaknesses and strengths in every culture. Are you with me, church? <sighs> so I'm going to lay out individualism, individualistic and collectivism. Um, so in individualistic cultures, um, the emphasis is on an individual's right and identity. Uh, individual's right and identity are placed above the identity of the whole. Whereas in collectivism, the group identity, the, the identity of the whole, takes priority over the individual. Um, so one example for me of collectivism, because South Korea is kind of, they'll list South Korea number two in like collectivistic cultures. And I, me being biracial, born in America, but having immigrant Korean parents, I feel like I have a foot in two different worlds. So I'm definitely, you know, me speaking up here, you know, having a little bit of, slight bit of narcissism. Of course I'm into individualism, right? And being a four, right? Uh, Enneagram four, right? That's like the, the one Enneagram that's like, I'm an individual, I'm an original, I'm creative, right? But I also grew up in the, I'm a part of the Sim family, I'm a part of my family, I have a duty and obligation of filial piety to my family and maybe that kind of belonging to the whole takes precedence over my individual ambitions or my individual sense of achievement or my actions. And if I go against the family and the whole, that mechanism of shame, you hear about shame-based cultures, that mechanism of shame is that which will bring me back 
to community or the whole. Does that make sense? So shame, actually, you know, I remember in a, a psychology class, you know, at SPU, people were talking about shame is from Satan. Eh, I agree with that. Like shame is toxic. Shame is bad in one sense. But in another sense, in a cultural kind of from a cultural understanding, shame and shame-based cultures is that which, that feeling we feel when we've put, placed ourselves outside, you know, the will or the agenda of the whole, right? You've, done, you've gone against the grain. And so shame is like, I'm in the doghouse. I'm outside of that. And something wants to bring me back home. So in that sense, it's not necessarily negative. It can be positive in that sense. Do you see? Whereas in an individualistic culture, the things that motivate us when we do something bad is guilt, right? Guilt. We have guilt. I've done something wrong. I feel guilty. Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. So do you kind of feel that difference? Um, and in, in current culture, even at how we eat, right? I, I was going to have more pictures, but... I ran out of time, but you know, there's, if you've been to a Korean restaurant, right, you have side dishes all over the place, and you wouldn't be like, where's my side dishes, right? There's, each person doesn't get a collection of side dishes. All of the side dishes are right in the middle, and right, there's nothing against double dipping. You just double dip, right? You take, right? You take your chopsticks and you eat from the kimchi. You eat from the collective spinach. You eat from the collective potatoes. You eat from the collective fish, right? And sometimes they put stew in front of you. You take your spoon and you dip it in the collective stew and you eat it with rice, right? Whereas, <laughs> whereas you know, in an individualistic society or actually when I'm eating, I don't want to do family style. <laughs> I want to eat it like, this is mine. Don't you touch it, right? And people are like, you want to have a taste of mine? And I'm like, sure. And they say, and I don't offer it back, and they're like sitting there. I'm like, no, you can't have any of mine. This is my dish. Um, so the Korean, there's a word in Korean, uh, udi, which means we, right? And I, I know I've shared this before, but we, and we'll say our house, udi, our, our, you know, my mom will say, or my dad will say, Udi Chip Sadam, right? To refer to my mom. Our, what does it mean? <laughs> Our house's person, right? Our house. So there's a sense of kind of collective identity, right? In the US, I'll take it in the US because we, we are here, um, North America or the North, um, we value the individual the personal right of the one over the whole, right? Um, so take, for instance, uh, we wearing masks, right? The difference of uh, different countries and places in terms of wearing masks, right? What was the conflict in the US, right, for people who didn't want to wear masks? Yeah, this is my body. This is my right. You can't tell me what to do. You can't make that law, which, I mean, it, it makes sense given our system. Uh, but in places like China or Korea, it's like, of course you would wear a mask, right? Everyone wears a mask because if one person doesn't, if one person doesn't, everyone could suffer, right? So why wouldn't you? 
So it's less about my individual rights and more I'm participating in the good of the whole. Are you with me, church? There, there's, there's those differences. So, and I, again, I'm not making any judgment statements here, even though I might be, but I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Again, different, I mean, collectivism and individual, individualism both have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but, I will look, as we talk about decolonizing the church, I think this kind of rugged individualism in the church has led towards, uh, in Western civilization, a privatized, transactional, individualized framework for faith, where the emphasis has been on personal salvation and saving individual souls, and perhaps less on the interconnectedness of people, of generations, of family, households, of all creation. In Western Christianity, the model has become me, my Jesus, my Bible, right? And let's kind of look at a brief kind of philosophical history. Not, not really a history lesson, but everyone know Descartes, 1400s, right? What did he say? I think, therefore, I am, um, which is a lot of people say has been foundational to modern philosophy. The emphasis in the statement, you know, I mean, the statement is simple, but there's a much greater thing happening underneath. The emphasis here that Descartes is making is on reason and rationality, um, and this is departing from the prevailing medieval philosophical tradition or understanding which place greater emphasis on faith and revelation, right? Source, as sources of knowledge. But Descartes in saying, I think therefore I am, he's saying our experiences, our external, even our senses, how we take in the external material world can be wrong, right? They're, they're limited, they, they, they can lie to us. So the only thing I know that can't be proven wrong is that I think. Inside myself, I think, I rationalize. So that's the only thing that I can say is true, and that's why I exist, right? So in effect, this is putting reason, right, above outward experience. So instead of revelation from God or like the mystical, it's my, my mind, my thinking, my ration is the pathway, the truth, and from there you get you know, the scientific method and kind of, you know, uh, the modernist movement. Are you with me, church? We're going to school here. <laughs> um, so, from the modernist movement, right, truth and reality and identity emerge from within one's reason and mind rather than from external sources. Um, and this was revolutionary, right? Uh, it was a revolutionary turn and pivot for Western thought. The I, or the self, is something that appears in the internal mind of an individual. And the idea be, of being self-sufficient, the idea of the solitary self, uh, informs so much of the modern world or how we think 
how we operate, right? I am me, right? I am self-sufficient. I have a solitary mind, and that gives me identity. That gives me, that is reality. Um, so there's this uh, philosopher. She's actually uh, Abiba Berhane, an Ethiopian-born cognitive scientist who works at the intersection of complex adaptive systems, machine learning, algorithmic bias, and critical race uh, studies. Abiba Berhane, she questions this in an article and asks the question, what's the role of other people in the self, right? Does the self really come from one person's solitary mind or do people around us inform who we refer to when we use the word I? Right? Can we isolate the I-ness, our identity and I-ness, outside of our relationships, right? Or do relationships actually shape our identity, right? So Berhane draws from Ubuntu and Zulu philosophy to describe how certain societies believe that self comes from other people and not just the lonely individual. And she writes, according to Ubuntu philosophy, which has its origins in ancient Africa, a newborn baby is not a person. People are born without ena or selfhood, and instead must acquire it through interactions and experiences over time. So the self, or the self-other distinction um, that's axiomatic in Western philosophy is much blurrier in Ubuntu thought. As the Kenyan-born philosopher John I don't know how to pronounce it, Mumbiti, put in African religious religions and philosophy in 1975, I am because we are, and since we are, therefore I am. See that twist on Descartes' statement. Um, but I want us to take a look at uh, this list uh, briefly. The key differences between individualist and collectivist societies, and I took this from Reddit, but there's a lot of <laughs> similar lists out there. Um, so the, the top line, individualist, everyone grows up to look after him or herself and his or her immediate family only. Collectivist, people are born into extended families or in other groups that continue protecting them in exchange for loyalty. Uh, the second piece, children learn to think in terms of I. In the collectivist society, children learn to think in terms of we. Uh, in the individualist Society, individual ownership of resources. In a collectivist, resources should be shared with relatives. In uh, individualistic, low context communication prevails. In a collectivist, high context communication uh, prevails. Um, going further down the list. In an individualist society, self-actualization by every individual is the ultimate goal. In a collectivist society, harmony and consensus in society are the ultimate goal. Um, individualist task prevails over relationship. Collectivist relationship prevails over task. Individualist individual interests prevail over collective. Collectivist collective interests prevail over individual. So in that list, you can kind of see a dif differences in approach. Um, and I was trying to find a good like kind of object lesson or visual for how, how this plays out, but um, instead I came up with a rant, and it might not even deal with this at all, but one of my pet peeves 
<laughs> is when I see a young gentleman, a young man, wearing headphones on his phone, crossing the intersection. When I'm try people are trying to turn right or people are trying to make a left and waiting and th there's a limited green light and they're just sauntering like on their phone, listening, totally unaware of like the big picture. The big picture being people have to get somewhere and this one person is creating lines of cars. One person creating lines. And uh, we were making this comment in, in, I think it was Montreal, like uh, we were with someone from Australia and they were like, man, the pedestrians, the pede was it the pedestrians or the cars? The, the pedestrians rule this place, right? It's like the cars have to wait for the pedestrians. And I think that's true in the States, right? We stop for pedestrians. But if you go to somewhere like China, it's like the cars rule, right? It's like, who pedestrian, you better watch out when you cross because you're going to get hit. And it's your fault if you get hit, right? So there's this, there's this difference where the individual life, right, um, is... is is maybe less in the collectivist culture in terms of the harmony of the whole, right? So that's my pet peeve, and maybe that has nothing to do with culture. Maybe just I'm impatient, but one person not caring. Or how about that group of people talking in the middle of the lane in Costco, right? In front of the free sample line, right? It's like, dude, can you see how busy it is here? Like, we need to walk through, and you're just clueless, just talking in the middle of everything. Come on! Right? And maybe that's more about self-absorption than it is about anything else. But um, collectivism and individualism, right? There's this I for the whole versus kind of um, an emphasis on where, you know, my individual journey or my individual walk. So I wanted to take a look at some scripture as examples of how we can look at things with an individualistic lens or a collectivistic lens. Uh, but if you were to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, right? Very famous verse, and I'm going to read the NIV here. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The NIV is actually misleading here because uh, temples is plur made plural here. Um, what is plural is the you, right, and your bodies. So we, we kind of, in, in English, we kind of say you, and it can mean plural, right, or singular. Um, unless you're from the South, then you, you or y'all, right, or y'alls. So what... Paul is actually saying here is y'all's, right? Y'all's bodies, but are not, but it's not our temples, but are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Y'all's bodies are a te one temple of the Holy Spirit, not y'all's bodies are temples. Do you see what the, the difference is? If you take an individualistic interpretation, it's my body is a temple. Right? My body's a temple, so I need to eat right. I need to do this right. You know, I need to take care of my body. Whereas my body, myself, 
is actually a part of one whole, the church. I belong to a whole, and so I need to be responsible as a part of the salad, right? I'm but a part of the salad, and there's one salad, one temple. Are you with me, church? So we're moving in that. Uh, temple is singular, you is plural. Um, do y'all know that y'all's bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? And that makes sense for the end of that passage, right? Hence, you are not your own. Ah, right? You are not your own. <laughs> Let's take Acts 16, 31 through 33. Um, here we learn that salvation comes to an entire household because of the one group leader. Paul and Silas told the Philippians jailer who was afraid for his life, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. This kind of wrecks me, right? It's like, are you saying because the jailer you know, follows Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and becomes baptized, that he's saved, but also his entire household, right? Like, what? What? I don't get it, right? What's, what's going on here? Like, is there kind of a collective sense of salvation in Scripture that we see in Scripture? We see this with Zacchaeus, right? Same thing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus becomes a Christian, or not Zacchaeus, Jesus, no one became a Christian. That's, that's another point, right? No one in scripture says the, the prayer, right? Right? God, believe, uh, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I want to be saved. I want to be a Christian. No one does that in scripture. That's like something we made up, right? The, the prayer, the sinner's prayer, or the, the prayer to become a Christian. Really, you know, people begin to follow God, usually in the context of some sort of movement uh, of the spirit among a household, among a group of people, among a nation. And God's prophecies are to people as a whole, to Israel as a whole, to a nation, um, togetherness, right? Um, that's not to say individual faith and individualism isn't present in scripture, right? There's a both and to that part, but in Luke 19, 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I've cheated, if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save uh, the lost, right? And even in Zacchaeus saying, you know, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much, right? In this kind of exponential giving back, right, there's an argument for reparations in this. Like, my individual act doesn't, didn't just hurt that individual that I took money from, so I should just give them that amount of money. It's the system was messed up. Whole families were messed up, and so I need to repay uh, generationally four times as much exponentially, 
And on top of that, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor, right? So there's a sense that my sin affects more than just the individuals I hurt, but there's a systemic kind of effect. And so I want to repay systemically. Are you with me, church? Um, and then our favorite. So there is great um, individualistic, like, God cares about each one of us, right? And we know we have passages like that. Take, for instance, what's a good one? Jeremiah, the call of Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah uh, 1, 4 through 7. The, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go, go to everyone I send you and say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord, right? That passage before I was born, God knew me in the womb, right? God knows every single hair on my head. He's named every single hair on my head and every like idiosyncrasy about me. That's beautiful, right? We resonate with that. And in times of trouble or in times where we're struggling or have insecurity, those are the passages, oh, God knows me. God knows me personally. And that's all throughout scripture. And this in particular is a call narrative, right? And we know many call narratives in scripture. Um, for instance, Gideon, right? Gideon is in hiding, threshing, trying to thresh wheat. And, you know, the angel of the Lord says, great and mighty warrior, right? And calls Gideon out. Moses is called out. But I want us to consider that maybe in the context where in the kind of the context of these times, there were more they were more collectivist societies. So actually the challenge is to Jeremiah to call out the individual from the whole. Does that make sense? To call out the individual from the whole. What does Gideon say when the angel calls him out? He's saying, wait a second. I'm the least person of the smallest tribe of Israel, right? Immediately, his kind of group identity, he says it and it says, there's no reason I should be individualized and be called out. Why are you calling me out of my community, of my group? Does that make sense? So the challenge to perhaps, this is just a theory, a collectivist kind of culture is, man, I'm going to call the individual out to lead, but not just to lead, to lead for, for your own calling sake, but to lead for the people of God. Are you with me, church? So then if we come from a culture that leans uh, individualistically, it, would the same challenge apply to us? Or would that piece of scripture, you know, be the same for us? Maybe it's lay down your life, right? You are not your own, right? 
Greater love has no man than this, than when a person lays down their life for their friends. Right? Consider the whole above yourself. And there are many scriptures about that, right? Um, so this is just to say that we need to consider our context and begin to look at scripture and interpret scripture from different lenses, which in order to do that, you cannot do that by yourself, yeah. right? And the whole me, my Jesus, and my Bible, and I can grow with me, my Jesus, and my Bible by myself, it's, it's not going to work anymore, right? We need to shape, be shaped by a diversity, a mosaic of people. And so I'm just going to point out a couple, a few things where individualism has kind of come into the church and maybe we should rethink things. And in doing so, I'm going to speak myself out of a job, <laughs> right? The whole notion of lead head pastor, right, I think comes out of Western individualism, right? That I, as a pastor, have to have the most knowledge out of everyone and be the most spiritually mature out of everyone so I can teach all of you and mentor all of you, right? But I would say, no, actually, I need to be pastored by some of you in the church, right? I need to be taught by many of you in the church, right? And so to deconstruct that, but what does that look like, right? The whole notion of church planting. You know, when I was coming up in church planting, they would say, it starts with the planter who has a vision and a plan, right? And, and that's what they're looking for, the one planter with a viable vision. And then that planter gathers people, right? And that's a lot, of, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of stress and burden, right? One vision to rule them all. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, you know? You know, but I've seen different denominations work with different things like, hey, let's start with a group of, collective group of people who are discerning in the Holy Spirit and say, oh, we feel a common kind of felt need in our community and let's start something, right? God is planting something. God is already doing something in the place that we're at. Before we even got here, God is doing something. Let's ride that wave and see what the Holy Spirit does. How about that model in church planting? Amen. Even how we discern in a church, right? You know, you have celebrity, the whole notion of celebrity pastors even, right? Leading huge churches, I think, is a, you know, comes out of that individualistic society. But there have been pastors that have led churches of movements that lead off of, you know, God called me to plant churches, right? To lead men, and to marry Grace. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> to plant churches, lead men, and to marry this person. And so you should follow me, because God told me. Um, but discernment. You know, how do we discern? 
right? Does one person hear from God and everyone follows that certainty that they heard? Or can no one person hold the whole picture, right? And we have to rely and listen to one another in order to see the full mosaic. Is that discernment? Like the little children speak to us, right? The, the older woman over there speaks truth. And then we see these pieces and God shows the whole mosaic as we listen to the different gifts and the different, different voices around us. That's harder to do, right? But that's what we're talking about, uh, individualism versus collectivism, that we need to start leaning towards a collectivistic kind of um, movement. Um, and I'll end with, uh, I saw after the 4th of July, I saw a video of, I think it was thousands of drones that were lit different colors, all programmed together to make like, I think it was a US flag, right? If you took one of those drones, it would just be a light, right? A red light, a white light, or a blue light. And it'd be nothing. But all those drones together make a whole picture, right? And we ought in, to the, in the church to consider that movements of the Holy Spirit um, often involve many little lights uh, that make a whole picture. So let's listen to one another. Let's consider one another. Let's rely on one another and be dependent on one another as the church, one holy temple, many bodies. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that people are here. It's 1130 and they're still here. And um, we go from this place um, with your word. And I pray that uh, we can be many individual lights, but that reveal um, your body, your church, your good news for the world. Amen.